I do want to share the journey, but I also want to share what can you do or what are these moments of growth that perhaps if I share will make your growth journey a little bit easier. This is the Alchemized Life Podcast, and I am your host, Ava Johanna. Transformational mentor, speaker, teacher, and most importantly, a woman on a mission to bring wellness to the world. This podcast was created to bridge the gap for anyone craving more love, health, and happiness in each and every day. And with every episode, you will receive practical guidance to create magic in your own life. Combining the expertise of wellness visionaries and thought leaders, each week we will bring it back to basics and provide you with the tools meant to empower you to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So together, let's ditch the mean girl, you can't sit with us vibes, grab your favorite yoga pants, and start to find your uniquely alchemized life. All right, my friends, we are back. Welcome to the Alchemized Life podcast. Ava here. If this is your first time tuning in, if you are coming because of Remy, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I cannot believe that we are so close to the end of the year. I feel like it was just yesterday that people started putting up memes about it only being three months till the end of the decade and what are you going to do with your life? And now we have like two weeks left, which just blows my mind into a a bajillion little pieces. But I got to say, I am really, really excited. These past few weeks, as most of you may know, if you've listened to the past couple of episodes, I've really been taking it back to basics. I've been meditating a lot. I've been journaling. There's been a lot of reflection, introspection, and In this space, I've had so many fun and exciting ideas come to the surface. And I always know that when I'm in the idea phase, the next phase is action, which is so just fun to be within this space, especially having learned over the past couple of weeks how to take aligned action versus just muscling through. And I'm really just grateful to be in this position to be taking aligned action versus hustling and muscling through things. That's not the vibe anymore. That is not the vibe of 2020. My word for 2020 is receive. And in doing so, I am opening myself up to receive on all sorts of levels from relationship to career, to finances, to travel, It's going to be a good year, you guys. And for those of you that maybe have been putting off reflection, know that it is so beneficial because when we go through the reflection period, the natural progression after that is idea and then action and then reflection. And I was talking about this on my Instagram stories the other day, Um, but there's this really cool cycle of idea, action, reflection. And so Take some time, you guys. Take some time to sit down and reflect on 2019. Where do you feel really empowered? Where do you feel like you can potentially improve? What was missing from 2019 that you want to cultivate in 2020? And allow it to be a fun and joyful process. Like it can be playful looking at the past year through the lens of growth. And that's really all that. I'm inviting you to do is to look at look at life over the past 365 days or however many, whenever this episode goes live and ask yourself, how do I get to grow? 
How do I get to grow and bloom even further into the best version of myself so I can show up in the year of 2020 and just kick fucking ass? It's exciting, you guys. And the cool thing about this is that a lot of people are just kind of like sitting back and moving through the holidays and not like fully diving in. So there's a lot of tangible energy to work with, you know, when you're like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write down the opportunities of growth that I have in the coming months in this next year. And I'm going to start to strategically plan out how I'm going to develop in this area of my life or in this area of my business. You can really grab onto even more energy in this time because there's a lot of people that are just sitting back. So be one of the beautiful, bright souls that allows yourself to align with the energy of growth and the energy of abundance in 2020. And I hope that this all makes sense. I might be speaking very esoterically right now. And if so, I'm sorry, you guys, I'm kind of in that mood. (laughs) But we have a great episode for you today with Remy Park, aka Veggiekins. And she is a vegan recipe developer and holistic nutritionist based in New York City. She focuses on gluten-free, whole food, plant-based cooking and promotes an intuitive approach to food. And we talk a lot about language triggers and um, eating disorders and recovery and the veil of social media in today's episode. So I think it'll be a really helpful episode for anyone out there that wants to see kind of an inside look at what a larger name and a larger persona and personality and brand on Instagram goes through on a daily basis as far as determining what to share, when to share, how to share mindfulness behind language and sharing. It's a really cool conversation that I think you guys will really resonate with. So I already shared her Instagram handle. It is at Veggiekins. If you feel inspired to share this episode, to send it to a friend, make sure to tag the podcast at The Alchemized Life and tag Remy at Veggiekins. And as you guys know, we have some amazing events coming up. Well, one specifically that I'm going to share, which is my VIP immersion in Santa Barbara. So this is happening on January 25th through the 26th. And I could not be more excited to serve you guys in this time of aligning versus muscling and hustling through our work. Like now is the time to receive. That is why it's my word for 2020. We get to have fun building our businesses. We get to have fun being in service and in creating a container for change and a unveiling of past patterns and ultimate behaviors on like a societal level that can shift. Like we are the light workers, the miracle workers, the healers, and the leaders that are going to unveil this all. And this VIP immersion is there to support you in uncovering that truth within yourself and giving you the steps and the tools to make it happen in 2020. And it's going to be such a dope environment. We're doing it at the Hotel Californian in Santa Barbara, which is my favorite hotel on the planet. I know I've been saying that every week, but it's because it is true, you guys. It is so beautiful. And my intention was to really create a relaxed and receptive environment. So we get to be in our feminine while 
playing with this, again, powerful energy and cultivating a strategy that supports us in aligning ourselves with our highest passions and dreams of aligning ourselves with the mission of service and of uplifting those around us, our clients, our peers, our family, our partners, everyone. And so we're going to be doing that on this weekend. And I would absolutely love to have you there. There's a link in the show notes with all of the details. We have a few spots left in double rooms as well as a single left. You'll be getting not only the stay in the hotel, but a hosted dinner, a hosted brunch, three different workshops throughout the weekend. All the details again are through the link in the show notes and a complimentary 60 minute facial or massage at the spa at the Hotel Californian, which is just, there's, there's photos on the landing page. So all I can say is if you're feeling called by listening to this, go check out the photos, go check out the entire landing page. Send me a DM if you're interested or if you have any questions, um, I'm here to answer your questions. I want more, nothing more than to support and serve you in awakening that gift and that voice and that empowered soul inside of you, reawakening. And this is my first opportunity in 2020 in an in-person environment to do so. So again, link is in the show notes. With that being said, let's jump into today's episode with Remy Park. And if you feel inspired by the end of the episode, it would mean the world if you left a five-star review and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's jump into today's episode with Remy Park. Enjoy, you guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. I'm really, really looking forward to today's conversation because I am sitting with, or I guess virtually sitting with Remy Park of the Instagram and blog at Veggiekin. So Remy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Great to be here with you virtually. (laughs) Yes, virtually. Um, So we kind of talked a little bit before we hopped into the conversation, but one of the things that I um, have found through you know my journey of following your journey is that we kind of had a little bit of like parallel similarities. I myself haven't had an eating disorder, but throughout all of high school, I was really bullied. And I remember reading on your blog how you your lowest of low was when you almost weren't even able to graduate high school. And when I was a junior. Um, or I think maybe transitioning into my senior year, I was told that there was no way I was going to get my degree. And it was really, really hard. And so I'm curious, and I want everyone to hear your journey of recovery and your whole experience, but I'm curious, like, what was it that started shifting your, I guess, resistance into receptivity to recover and to heal? Was it that hitting that low or was it a series of you know concern from friends and family? Where do you think it stemmed from? Um, I think a big part of it was, I guess, realizing the importance of my health and thinking about future. So my eating disorder actually started very young when I was in about third grade. So I think for that reason, it was really, really hard for anyone to realize that it was a thing and for myself too, because 
I didn't have a base of normal to kind of compare to. You know, when it, when you're older, it's kind of more apparent because you're not growing. You're sort of um, more fully matured. You have a baseline to compare and say like, oh, I am really losing weight or I'm looking very, very slim compared to what I used to look like or vice versa. And so it was actually really difficult because I'd always been kind of on the taller side. So we thought maybe this is my natural body and what it kind of looks like very thin, very tall. It was really, really difficult for my parents to notice. And then also because it was so young, it was like, oh, maybe she's just a picky eater. She doesn't eat much. It's just kind of always been the norm. So for me too, to realize that it was a problem, it was a little bit more difficult until I got older and puberty started to hit. Um, I got my period for a little bit and then completely lost it for several years. And that was sort of a big indication to me because that's pretty scary. It was sort of past that first two years of where it's sort of um, acceptable to have an irregular period. And I was like, ooh, this is probably not a good thing. And for a while, you know, when I was younger, I kind of thought it was cool. I was like, this is awesome. I have no period. I don't have to worry about it like my friends. I can go swimming. You know, I can do these things. And it wasn't until I got older um, and a lot of the friends around me started to talk about having children or just their futures and thinking about things like that, that I realized that this is something that is very important. And as I got older, I started to notice the effects of having a hormonal imbalance on everything else, sleep, um, energy levels, joint pain, um, inflammation, and some autoimmune things that would kind of flare up. And I think that's how I really came to realize this was a serious problem. So I think, you know, it was really helpful for me to think of it in that sense of what do I want my future to look like? And do I want to be a mother in the in the future, for example, that has kids and doesn't know how to feed them properly or doesn't know what normal looks like or healthy relationship with food. So that helped me a lot, but it really, really took a very long time for me to realize that anything was wrong. Yeah. And how old were you when you started realizing like the hormonal imbalance and like your joint pain and energy levels were likely because of your diet? Um, I would say probably around college because I'd grown up with similar friends from around sixth grade all the way through high school. And so I was finally around a new group of people who didn't have this preconceived notion of, oh, you know, that's how she's always been, or she just doesn't eat very much. It was like, you work out so much. How are you doing that when you're eating so little? You know, it's very weird to other people. So I think that environmental change was really helpful for me too, to just realize like, this is not okay. Mm, Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't even think about it that way of just like being in that new environment and having a like fresh set of eyes on you to be like, Hey, you know, that's something's up. I'm curious. So having it start in third grade, was there something that happened around that time that, you know, maybe like something that was said to you or something like that, that um, sparked this feeling of incompleteness around food? Um, You know, I don't know if there's anything in particular. I think that the odds were a little bit against me because I do have, you know, naturally I was born with a lot of anxiety-based disorders. So OCD is one of them. And there are a lot of ties between OCD and eating disorders just because of the whole control Mm -hmm. aspect things. Um, and I know that, so I'd moved probably six months before third grade, um, around second grade, and I'd moved overseas for the first time. So the only thing that I can really guess that it was this huge lifestyle change for me and something where I felt like I had no control over my life and my surroundings. Um, that's one reason I can think of. And I know that moving from the U S to Asia was definitely very different because, I think that at the time, um, this was probably, this was around like 20 years ago or so now. At the time, there wasn't as much processed junk in Asia. It was a lot more um, whole foods, like, you know, just 
vegetables and meat and like simple home cooked meals. And you could see a big difference, I would say, in like the kids. There was not as much of that sort of baby fat or like junk food or childhood obesity, none of that. Um, And I was always taller as well. I've been the same height since maybe fourth grade. So being taller, kind of feeling larger in this completely new environment, I think the two things together. Um, and just my natural disposition was really perhaps what kind of started it. I don't really know, but it's kind of all I can think of. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that sounds like you kind of like hit the nail on the head though. Cause it's so, it's so wild to think that like something that seems totally unrelated can influence your, like another area of your life. You know, like I think a lot of people would maybe assume it was like someone saying something to you or, you know, some, some type of remark or, um, some sort of like family type of influence, but it can be something completely separate, like a move and wanting to just control one area of your life and feeling safe within this control. Yeah, absolutely. Did you think that when, or once you started, um, you know, your process of recovery, was it really, really challenging for you letting go of that control? Like what was the what was your mental space like at that point? So going through recovery was a very different experience for me. I almost felt like I teetered on the border of like binge eating disorder for a while because I had unlearned every single cue as far as feeling full or feeling hungry. I didn't really know what that meant. Mm. So for me, it was like I needed to eat either nothing or I would eat stuff and then feel oh my gosh, like I haven't had cereal in four years or something similar like that. And I would just not know how to understand what it meant to be full. Like I had no reference basically. So it was really difficult for me because it was just this completely new experience while being so out of touch with my own body and how it felt. You know, people say all the time, like listen to your body, but that is one of the most difficult things. Cause I think that most of us are conditioned in some way to ignore signs, um, you know, to different degrees, like whether it's, oh, you know, I'm not that hungry because maybe on a specific day, you're feeling a little bit more bloated and you kind of tell yourself, I'm not feeling that hungry or, you know, it's a beach day. I'm really not that hungry when in reality you might be, but they're just, um, we become really good. I think at ignoring our natural body signs and the cues and things that trying to tell us. Um, and I think the most difficult part of recovery for me was the refeeding process, um, it's really, really critical because when you do have an eating disorder and you're underweight, your brain structure actually changes. And that is a really difficult part of recovering because you need to be in the right headspace, literally, to be able to recover. So refeeding is really important just to kind of put your body in a normal baseline of like feeling like it can survive. You're not in this like survival mode where you know your body is um, using whatever it can to kind of just maintain itself rather than thrive. And so at a certain point I had to eat probably between four to 5,000 calories. And that was so new to me. I, you know, had never, I would never have imagined anything like that. And just hearing the numbers, right. And just like thinking, I know how much I'm eating and it's so frightening. That was a completely new experience for me too. But I think, you know, it was really important for me and that has helped me understand a little bit too, like what it means to be so full that you feel like, oh my gosh, like it's a suffocating feeling of fullness. Yeah. real fullness. So it's almost like I had to go to these extremes to understand what it meant to feel full and hungry in more of a normal situation. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's like creating new neural pathways in the brain that weren't there before. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I was just in Big Sur and I was thinking about, we were hiking and I was thinking about how often I am in this state of fight or flight, even though I'm like a meditation teacher, I practice yoga, you know, I go to the gym, I do all of the things that, you know, we are supposed to be doing, but I still feel very much in a state of fight or flight. And it sounds like 
initially when you were in recovery and just the way in which you, and when you were still like within your ED, your brain and your body was in this state of fight or flight. And when your body is in a state of fight or flight, like all systems are off, you know, so your immune system shuts down, your digestion shuts down. And like, of course there's those hormonal imbalances because your body is literally just trying to survive. Um, So it's really interesting to think about like in the recovery process, this shifting from fight or flight into like feeling safe in your body and your brain feeling safe in your body too. Yeah, absolutely. It's very primal. I think it's your body knows what to do when it's in these extreme situations. So it's literally starvation mode. And the last thing your body's thinking about is hormone balance. They don't care if you're going to have another kid, like you're in no position to support another life. So hormones go off the wall, you know, everything kind of just falls apart because all you're trying to do is just stay alive basically. So I have to be honest, even though it's full on holiday mode, I'm very proud of myself because I've been slowing down and just taking time to learn and absorb everything versus pushing through the holidays. It's a totally new energy for me, but I'm into it and I wanted to share it with you because I have given myself the gift of Audible and just allowing myself to learn through audiobooks throughout the past couple of weeks. And it's been such a game changer. I have been listening to so many more books than I would if I were just reading. And it's been so helpful as I'm driving, as I'm wrapping presents, as I'm cooking, to just listen to inspirational books like Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein or Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And now I'm on to Revolution of the Soul by Sean Korn. You guys, give yourself the gift of Audible. You can listen to audiobooks literally while doing anything. And it's kind of like listening to a podcast just like this one. (laughs) So I use the Audible monthly membership and it's great because you can pick one audiobook a month and two Audible original stories. And what I love is that you can easily exchange any title you don't love at any time and send books to friends that haven't tried Audible before. The sending books thing is my favorite feature. It's amazing. And if you haven't used Audible before, you have to give yourself this gift. Like this podcast, it's great for commuting, cooking, in the background while you work, and any other activities that allow you to passively learn. And right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. And trust me, you're getting more than your money's worth. Right now, again, for a limited time, three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. All you have to do to take advantage of this is go to audible.com forward slash alchemized or text alchemized to 500, 500. Again, it's only $6.95 a month for three months of Audible. That's more than half off of the regular price. It is so worth it, you guys. You can listen to books so much faster than if you were to just read them. And to take advantage, all you have to do is go to audible.com forward slash alchemized or text alchemized to 500, 500. Again, that's audible.com forward slash alchemized and text alchemized to 500, 500 to get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. And on the topic of gift giving, you guys already know my go-to stocking stuffer is native deodorant. And I know it kind of sends a message like you're a little stinky, but in reality, it's because you love your loved ones and want to make sure their pits are pure and free of aluminum and parabens. The reality of it is native deodorant is a godsend. Plus they have a new candy cane scent. So it's literally perfect for the holidays. And need I remind you that it is a super practical gift. Let's not waste our money on gag gifts or something that someone's not going to use. Get things that are practical. 
and you don't have to sacrifice smell or sweat. So tell your boyfriend, your partner, or your mom, you massively upgraded their BO situation with your very super thoughtful gift and recommendation from Native. And Native has over 9,000 five-star reviews and has been featured on the Today Show, Refinery29, Pop Sugar, and Elle Magazine, just to name a few. So you know that they are doing something right. Plus, it's what I schmear on my underarms daily, and I can attest to smelling absolutely beautiful from sunrise to sundown. So grab your stick at nativedeodorant.com and use the code Alchemize at checkout for 20% off of your order. Yes, 20%, you guys. It really does make a wonderful gift. Again, that's nativedeodorant.com and the code is alchemized for 20% off of your order. Yeah. And so you mentioned something I thought was really interesting, which was like the idea of how everyone says, you know, just listen to your body. But then the conditioning that so many of us have around our bodies. Um, and this actually leads me into one of the topics that I really wanted to talk about with you, which is the perpetuation of different lifestyles and influences through Instagram and through social media. And I know you initially started your Instagram with your therapist, but I'm curious now having this platform and being on the other side of recovery, how do you stay mindful about the way in which you share your life, you know, your recipe developer as well, um, without perpetuating, um, you know, the growing orthorexia disorder and so many other eating disorders that I feel can easily be, I guess, ingrained in people through just like the constant scrolling. So I'm curious like your thoughts on that and if you've struggled with that at all in the past or um, you know, just what, what you think about Instagram specifically when it comes to different eating disorders and just kind of shifting the paradigm from influencing to more like sharing. Yeah, that's a that's been something that's you know, been a work in progress for me too, because the longer that I'm on Instagram um, and the more the community grows, the more I become aware of just how much influence um, I have the potential to have on other people. And I think about it a lot as my sisters grow up as well, because, you know, when I started my Instagram, they weren't really big on social media. They're very um, disconnected kids, which is awesome. I'm very jealous of that. (laughs) I know, same. Yeah. And as I got older, you know, all their friends are on it. So they're kind of on it more and like how cool, like my sister has this vegan Instagram. So they're following a little bit more closely now. And it made me very, very mindful of the words that I'm using to describe food because, you know, no one else in my family is vegan and they eat, I would say a pretty standard diet. I would say like a little bit healthier and less processed, but for the most part, you know, they'll have their pop tarts when they want them and their refined sugars when they want them. And I think that's totally fine. Um, and healthy if, you know, your mindset around it is healthy, but I became really mindful of even talking about food the way that I see it in sort of this way that is accessible to people who may not have the best relationship with food and health. Um, so a little bit more vulnerable to that orthorexia or just this sort of disordered mindset around eating. So one of the things, for example, like clean food, I don't say anything is clean. I don't think that's a good word that should be used. And I know that for some people, it's a neutral word. It doesn't hold any 
meaning beyond what it's supposed to mean. But for a lot of people, it's like, oh, so what is the alternative? My food is dirty or it's bad or shouldn't be something that I'm eating. This is not good for my body. And I just try and stay away from words like that. I would say, you know, when I do recipe remakes, I would do something like a nutter butter. And I would say, well, this is a great alternative with like ingredients and like no nasties. And I was like, oh, that's actually not really a word that I'd ever say around my younger sisters, knowing that they're so young and impressionable. And you could compare someone with a disordered mindset similarly, like very vulnerable and young and impressionable. And so, you know, I had to become more and more mindful of that because I, I know exactly what it's like. So for me, it's like, I should be better about it, but it is challenging because when your intention is just to be as healthy as possible and you're really focused on that, and it's not about an eating disorder or any kind of restriction, it's truly like this interest and investment in your health. It is really difficult to find that balance between how do I talk about this in a way that conveys what I really want it to mean, but is also not going to be triggering for somebody or encourage someone to take on a, an unhealthy mindset around food. Um, so I'm, I think I'm still working on it, but um, you know, just thinking about words like clean, um, removing sort of those trigger words from your language is really, really helpful. Um, I don't talk about calories. I try not to talk about like low fat or detox. Like I don't use the word detox, for example, because I feel like that's another word that is very um, triggering for a lot of people. Um, and I think you just have to do the best you can do because there are going to be people out there who are going to be more sensitive to any kind of word, really. It could be something like unrefined or less processed than that could be triggering for some people, but you have to do the best you can do. And when you can, I think, reinforce positive mindsets around food and talk about things like counting colors and not calories. Like I think it's, um, it's a balance and I don't think there's a perfect answer, but the more that I'm on Instagram and the more that I'm exposed to people who will email or DM or just share their really raw opinions with me, like, Hey, I don't really like this word or, you know, I found this a little bit triggering. I'm so open to it. And I kind of use that to help me grow. Yeah. I think that that's really powerful and to be open and receptive to have that feedback as well, because ultimately, you know, I mean, so many people in like branding and marketing will say like, if you speak to everyone, you're speaking to no one, but ultimately we're not going to be able to, you know, please everyone through our platforms, but at least if we're open to hearing from them and hearing them out and, you know, being really empathetic to where they are at, then we can use our platforms for good. You know, I don't think that our words are always going to be perfect, but having the flexibility to say, Hey, I, I hear you and I'm listening. And that makes a lot of sense that that's a triggering word for you. I think that that's really powerful. And it also, you know, creates community around something that is really, really difficult and feels probably very often lonely. So I'm curious, you know, w- within like the beginning stages of your Instagram and, you know, building your community. Did you find in your own practice ways to disconnect from influence and a desire to maybe replicate or mirror other people that are that were maybe like influential to you in the beginning? Oh, absolutely. I think when I first went vegan, it was the era of, and I don't know how how familiar you are with this, but there were groups of people out there who really believed in a high raw diet and absolutely zero fat in the diet. So it was really mostly fruits, um, which is just not a sustainable diet for almost anyone. I don't yeah. think it's not healthy. And I could see like in comparison to coming from a diet where you're eating burgers and pizza like every day and you don't really like greens or anything like that. I could see how in comparison, you feel like this is so healthy and this is so good for me. But you know, I think it all comes down to trusting people that really know their stuff and also people that don't 
try and um, preach a specific kind of diet on you. I think it's all about, you can share what you eat, but I don't think it's ever your place to tell someone else this is how you should eat. Even if you are an RD or even if you are a nutritionist, I think it's really important that it's um, an open-ended conversation more so than saying, hey, this is how someone should be eating. Because at the end of the day, I think that different diets work for different people. Even within veganism, you could be raw vegan, you could be junk food vegan, you could be you know, whole food plant-based or not gluten-free or gluten-free. Like there are just so many ways to do every kind of diet. And I think it depends on someone's lifestyle and their relationship to food as well. So um, I do try my best to, you know, try and make it less prescriptive and more just here are some meals that you can make if you are interested in trying out kind of the way that I eat or foods that I really enjoy. And I think it's important too, to share your off moments or just to show that humanness to people that, even though this is a lifestyle that I sort of prescribe to myself, it's not, there's no boundary between like, if I feel like having something that is not something that I would eat every day, it's totally fine. That's balanced. That's healthy as well. You know, for me, it's a little tricky because I know that some people can think veganism is a little restrictive. I would say for me, it's more ethics and values. And then within that, there's still room to kind of explore different ways of eating. But um, I can see how just different kinds of diets and labels are really tough for people to stick to. So that's another reason why I try my best not to kind of preach veganism because I think it's great. I'm fully behind it for the ethical reasons, but I just don't feel right about telling anyone else what to eat, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is definitely the way to go, at least in my eyes. Um, I, I think that that's how we're inclusive rather than creating more resistance between people and more of, I guess, more like more disconnect between different groups of people. Because I remember when like veganism started getting really big on Instagram and there would just be... And I don't... I mean, I don't see this anymore. I'm not vegan. So I don't post, you know, hashtag vegan or anything like that. But I would see like two, three years ago, so much hate from people on both ends. And it was like really just sad to see and like a little bit of a bummer to just see like so much... Um, distaste from both sides. And I don't, I just think that that separation doesn't help anybody at that point. You know, it's not going to convert anyone to be vegan and it's not going to convert any vegans to eat burgers. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's about compassion. That's like the roots of the lifestyle. And given that that is the argument, you know, it's important that you're kind to other people and also to yourself. So that was a big thing for me. Like in the very beginning, although I was vegan, I was still struggling. You know, I'd have my off days with um, returning to like disordered mindset and some restrictive behaviors. And I would remember that, you know, if this is really about kindness and I can't be kind to myself first, like how am I going to live this lifestyle without having that compassion for myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's like coming back to your why. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- this actually also kind of like leads me into, um, another question and it's kind of still on the same topic, but when I was researching you, I saw your blog on Valentine's day and, um, c- kind of just like keeping it real based off of like the difference between people that are like respond and be like, Oh, hashtag goals versus, um, you know, people that see it and like really have a desire to be in a relationship instead. So having kind of your entire life on display for people, are there different elements of your life that you try to keep more to yourself just because you don't want to like continue to, you know, perpetuate or be self-indulgent in, you know, showing how great life is in some areas? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Like kind of boundaries, right? As far as how yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I think I'm 
an open book. Like I'm really, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm a professional oversharer. And I think part of that just comes from my level of comfort with being open about mental health, because that is how I started. And, um, it's something that I have to, you know, every now and then kind of reel back or just check in and make sure like, is this helpful to share or is this just sharing for the sake of sharing? And I think it can go both ways. Like, am I sharing this vulnerable moment for the sake of like being relatable and kind of a, almost not a shock value, but just this emotional engagement, or is this really something that is uplifting to people? And I try my best to find a balance between if I'm going to share sort of a crappy moment in my life, I want to first be able to see if I can find where's the light at the end of the tunnel, or is there something that I can pull from this to share a moment of growth versus just like a shitty moment, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Because at the end of the day, like there's so much negativity out there, especially within media, like news alone is something that I find personally very draining energetically. It's a lot of negativity. There isn't a lot of uplift, um, unless you're browsing just like cute animal videos, but that's <laughs> like unrealistic. So my whole thing is like, I do want to share the journey, but I also want to share what can you do or what are these moments of growth that perhaps if I share will make your growth journey a little bit easier or provide something that you can kind of um, take into your own journey with you. And then as far as personal life, I just try to be very mindful about family life. And, um, you know, in the very beginning, my boyfriend did not want to be on social media at all. And I respected that. Although people, I think, are always curious about relationships. And now it's a different story. He's very much open to it. But still with this greater emphasis on privacy as far as personal life, more so than I am. So, you know, he has a private Instagram account. He'll accept people, but he's just um, not sort of an open book as much as I am. And I just have to be mindful of that too. So if I'm sharing a journey that has something to do with myself or my mom or my childhood, I'll always try and run it by as many people as I can to say, is this cool with you? Because it's part of my life, but it's also part of their life. And they didn't ask for this, you know, internet life. So I just try to be as mindful as I can. And then, yeah, I mean, as much as I share what seems like everything, of course, there are things that are still private to me. Um, And I do try to just make sure that I never feel like I am just naked on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, I mean, within this wellness community, there's a lot of like pull to share everything and to be vulnerable and to, you know, put it all out there. But like for a lot of people that doesn't, absolutely feel good. You know, there's certain areas of my life that I love sharing and I'm very similar to you. Like I am basically naked. I'm in, I'm in my undies online basically. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like even last week, so I, I got a new car and my husband was like, well, aren't you going to share your car on um, social media? And I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of feels like self-indulgent to be like, Hey, look at me. I just got this brand new car. Okay. Um, I'm excited about it and I'm so happy that I have it. But like, do I, is this more of like an intent, attention seeking and grabbing share, or would this be something that is going to like inspire other people? And I'm sure that there's ways that I could like frame it to inspire other people, but I just, especially over the past month, have been really thinking about how to be as intentional as possible with without making people feel like they're missing out or like I'm better than them or I'm on this type of pedestal because I think that it's really easy as you kind of like referenced in that Valentine's post for people to look at these things and think that we that that they're not good enough and mm-hmm. that we are outside of whatever they are and I don't want to perpetuate that at all with anything that I share yeah, that makes so much sense. And I like your example with the car because I almost feel like it's this reverse 
curation of Instagram. We know, I think, that a lot of people think of Instagram as a highlight reel. And I would say even within my own content, although I'm mindful about it and I share a mental health journey, like visually, I do like to create and think of it as almost an art where I'm very mindful about the imagery that's being shared. It's very beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, kind of like what you're saying about, you know, decisions to hold back on sharing certain things where you just don't feel like it's necessary or helpful for anyone. I think it's almost like this reverse curation where you are choosing what to share, but in a way that is mindful of, you know, how is this going to affect other people? And is there room for growth for other people in sharing this? So it's almost reverse of what people think of when they say this sort of indulgent influencer lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that it depends. I mean, there's some influencers that are, you know, up just posting photos looking beautiful and stuff. But I know that for myself and for you as well, this is about adding value to people's lives and for and to support and inspire them. You guys, 2020 is almost here. And one of the greatest things you can do and the biggest recommendations I can give you is to show up and learn new skills. It has honestly been the strongest suit of mine coming from startup culture and having to learn how to wear many hats. And since launching my business, it's really been important for me to know the ins and outs and everything, including podcast production, video editing, and paid marketing. And like many of you, I had heard of Skillshare on various podcasts. It is without a doubt the go-to for creatives and business owners and really anyone looking to learn anything in a new and easy, accessible way. I started using Skillshare a few months ago when I took over editing the podcast as well as launching my YouTube channel. And I cannot say enough good things about their library of classes. First of all, you can get super specific with what you're looking for. For example, if you want to learn how to make an intro for a YouTube video or add the social media icons to the end of the video, you can literally type that in and they had an entire series of classes for that. And the videos were super short too, making it again, really easy to consume and follow along. As we enter the new year, so many of you are looking to start something new. So don't let I don't know stop you from going after your dreams and your passions. Instead, empower yourself through knowledge and try Skillshare like me and millions of other students. Consider this an early Christmas present. Get two free months of Skillshare when you sign up at Skillshare.com forward slash alchemized. Yep. You can start now and learn through the end of the year, the beginning of next year, because you're getting two free months of Skillshare when you visit skillshare.com forward slash alchemized. I'll link it in the show notes too. But for those of you that are already taking notes, visit skillshare.com forward slash alchemized. So before we jump into everything that you have going on right now and everything that's coming up for you in the future, I'm curious, having been in on the side of being like the receptive side of being in recovery, um, one of the things that I've really struggled with, not necessarily with um, eating disorders, but just people in my life going through traumatic times or just troubled times and me really struggling with supporting them and releasing my control of the outcome and, you know, sharing different things with them, whether it's videos or podcasts or books. Um, You having been on the receiving end, what would you say for those that are listening that maybe have someone in their life that is going through something traumatic? What made the biggest difference to you with your community and those around you? Um, I think that... During the healing process, it's 
human nature to kind of take on this caretaker role and want to do as much as you can for that person. And I think that's, it comes from a place of love always, but I think the nicest thing, um, that I can remember while being in recovery was just being treated normally. Mm. Uh, It is a disease, you know, you could think of it as a disease, but if you were to think of it that way, imagine having um, more like a medical disease, you would never want to be treated differently just because all of a sudden you've got, you know, some kind of diagnosis. Like I really, really love when friends would not try to act like there was an elephant in the room and say, Hey, like, would you want to maybe do something that's like not food related? And, you know, we could like, go to yoga and like, not like get some these after, but just like go to yoga and kind of phrase it that way. And it's almost like, you are making this so weird. Yeah. We both know there's an issue here, but instead just be supportive in a way that is normal because another big part of recovery, I think for me is that adjustment to life again, life doesn't come unfortunately with this um, trigger warning. And a lot of people that you encounter like day to day are not going to know what you've been through or what you're struggling with. And I think it's almost this training to just deal with, sort of um, the things that most people are not sensitive to. So I personally really appreciated being treated a little bit more normally. Um, And, you know, people make mistakes too, as far as like, oh, like, or maybe you're not comfortable eating. And I think in situations like that, it's really comfortable or it's really important, sorry, to just say it like it is and say, that's really weird that you say that. Like, don't feel weird about saying that. I appreciate that you're coming from care, but also like, we don't have to make this a weird thing. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just hang out and then we'll see how I do with the food and, you know, and I may or I may not, we can just go and see how it goes. So things like that. Um, and I think the same could be said about recovery from a lot of things. So for me during like my time of addiction, I all of a sudden had people saying, Hey, let's go do this like wholesome activity. And it was like, well, you know, we don't have to go knitting or do something that's like focused <laughs> around sobriety. Like we can just do normal things. Like there are so many things that are still normal. Going out to dinner is still normal. And yes, there may be like wine and drinks at other tables, but it doesn't have to be at our table. It's not like a, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to be this approach where it's like, Ooh, let's try and keep this very sheltered and wholesome right? and take the fun out of it. Like you do, you want to remind them like you are not missing out on anything in life. If you're struggling with one percentage of what it is to be alive, you know, whether that's food or substance use or anything like that. So I guess, yeah, to try and find a normal way of being with them and just asking them specifically, what do you need or what can I do for you versus like, here's what I think you should do, or here's what I'm going to do for us because I think it's best for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I thank you for sharing that. I think that that's really helpful because it allows you to not, I don't know, like mess with the experience either and like really just cherish the time that you have together rather than make it this like sterile experience, which is something that I've definitely struggled with before. You know, one of my best friends was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease earlier this year and it's been really hard to like figure out the best way to support her and still have fun together, but not be in those situations where we're like going to see a DJ or something like that, where her body is going to like hurt the next day. So it's really helpful to just look at it through the lens of you don't necessarily have to take all of that stuff away, but not making it so extreme or so intense of like, yeah, we're going to go to see this DJ and we're going to get VIP tickets or something like that, where it could be something a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, low key, but still just as fun and still be able to uh, bond with each other in the same way that you were initially. Yeah. And I think just removing the guilt, I think it's natural to take on guilt when a loved one is going through something that's just human nature, but to just take away that feeling of guilt because I think that also contributes to 
whoever's going through someone feeling bad and feeling kind of like a burden with everything that's going on. So just trying to be, you know, as upbeat as possible, but in a normal way, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a good point. Even when I'm sick for like a week, I feel so guilty for my husband and I feel bad. And then I, it like makes me feel worse. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious now because you've had just such an incredible journey and with um, the recipe development, working with these huge brands within the wellness space, where do you see your work going next? Do you have anything big on the horizon that you can share? Um, so I've been definitely doing a little bit more in-person stuff, which has been new for me. I think I'm really comfortable sharing online and not so much in person because it's very hard to just kind of jump in. So it's been good practice for me speaking on panels. Mm -hmm. Um, I think being so open online forces you to have the same vulnerability and honesty in real life, which is really great. I, I love that. But, um, yeah, just doing a lot more panels, events, um, and, I'm actually working on a book, um, which is a little bit more on sort of the sobriety side of things, but definitely the healing journey. So I'm really excited about that. Um, It's going to be a long process. I don't know when (laughs) that will be out, but I'm really happy because it's been moving along and, you know, it's just coming to life. That's amazing. So what's your writing process like? I'm really curious because I've been working on... Well, I launched a course and I was writing out the content for the course and I was just... I felt so in it. And halfway through writing it, I was like, oh my God, this is my book. And it felt so good. So I'm curious, like, what does your writing process look like? Because I think you're a phenomenal writer. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I guess for me, it's like it's almost like a brain spill. And I, when I, whether I'm doing a blog post or like a capture or something, I, I usually end up with way too many words. And so from there, but it's like, you have this gold mine of stuff to pull from. So then I'll kind of go back and pull out what's necessary, remove some of the um, fluffs. Cause I like to do a lot of like parentheses and I'm like, that's not necessary <laughs> <laughs> with myself. So it's almost like a journaling experience for me in a way. And then from that pulling out things and just refining it a little bit more. So I think it'll be interesting as far as um, a book because it's a very different experience. It's not an audience necessarily that knows me or knows my story. It'll be a very different kind of um, audience that decides to read the book. And again, like I do want to bring in that element of um, sort of the uplift and the goal versus just ruminating on you know, the dirty details of like, oh, this is my dramatic experience, the first drug that I tried. You know, Because I think that there's a place for that, but I don't really want to turn um, my negative experiences into a drama or kind of a entertainment. Like I would rather focus on that happened and like, where do we go from here? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think for me, at least, um, you know, having struggled with substance in the past, um, it's always nice to hear a little bit of it, but not like ruminate on it too much. I think that just like a taste of it always makes me feel like, okay, I can really resonate with this person or like, we've definitely been through the same thing. But when it gets to the point of being more dramatic, it's almost like these like triggers go off in my brain where I'm like, Ooh, that sounds fun. I remember when I used to do that, you know? Yeah, it is definitely like that. Um, And for the same reason, I had to stop going to a lot of NA meetings because I was just hearing like stories and stories of people using and I'm like, that doesn't sound that bad. Or like, oh, I remember when I used to feel that way. And I was like, this is not helpful for me. You know, I need to be sort of a different spectrum where I'm hearing feedback that what I'm doing is not necessarily good for me versus like get this glamorized experience almost. Yeah, for sure. So did you, when you were in your first stages of um, substance abuse recovery, work with a sponsor? I did, but I had a lot of problems with the conventional recovery system because I had a lot of guilt around 
the sort of tie to religion. So you know how mm-hmm. it's technically Christian, I believe in origin. Yeah. I had so much guilt around that because um, in high school specifically, my family would go to church. And I remember specifically so many days where I would go to church with them and feel like I had to, because, you know, I was almost like, I'm doing this to make up for like what I did yesterday. So I would go out Saturday night, Friday night, and then be completely in this like inebriated state, sometimes still almost drunk or high or whatever it was and show up to church. And I just remember feeling so guilty being in this like place that is supposed to be holy. And, um, you know, it's like, gosh, like, I can't believe I'm here in this place. I shouldn't be here and feeling like everyone knows, everyone can tell what I've been doing. And so I personally have a lot of guilt as far as um, religion and anything related to religion. So for me, it just didn't resonate when I was working on healing. Um, And I started working a little bit more personally with like a therapist one-on-one. But in the very beginning, I think it was really helpful to have that foundation, just to know that a program like that exists has helped so many people because there are guidelines and it's, it's normal nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I know that you mentioned this um, maybe a week ago or so on your Instagram um, talking about privilege and, you know, someone that maybe wants to recover from substance abuse or from an eating disorder may not have access to a therapist, but can have access to a group like that. Um, So I think it's really important to just know that like there are options regardless of your income, regardless of your race, your gender, like there are options for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And there, I mean, one of the things that some of my friends did because also we were in college at the time, we just really didn't have that much time to give to like committing to recovery fully, going into like, for example, an inpatient situation or a house or something like that was to just kind of model the 12 step and pick your own sponsor, whether it's someone you know, or like a friend or a trusted person and just say like, Hey, I kind of want to model this after what is done in therapy. And like, can you be that person for me? And it's just helpful to have sort of a guideline and just tell people like, this is what I need. Like, I would love it if you could be that person for me. Yeah, absolutely. And people want to be able to support you. Your loved ones want to be able to support you through that. Yeah, totally. So I'm really excited for your book. As far as long process, do you think you'll be done with it within the next year? Um, I hope so. I think it might be like one to two years. I'm okay. so because the book world is such a different world than anything that I know. I think it's a completely different um, speed and pace. And like, there's so many things I just don't know, which is really cool because I feel like I'm just absorbing knowledge. I'm a sponge at this point, but yeah, yeah. yeah foreign area to me as of right now. That's so exciting. Are you working with a publisher? Um, yes. That's so exciting. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have to get you back on the podcast when the book is <laughs> on its press tour. Well, Remy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm curious, and I asked this of um, all my guests, what are three things that listeners can do today to absorb some of your journey and start creating more positive choices in their lives and whether they're in recovery or you know, just influenced by social media and all of the noise that's out there? I think a great thing to do is when you're thinking about food and lifestyle choices, like see if you can tune out a little bit from social media, like really just be offline for a little bit and see how present you can be in doing that. And when navigating food, don't think so much about labels or you know numbers, but just focus on the experience. Think of it almost like eating is a meditation. If you can think of it that way, I think that is such a great way to kind of get reconnected to your body if you're ever feeling a little bit 
off or just like not so grounded. That's something that I love to do. And um, I guess applying the same to life, just being really mindful about what you consume, um, both food-wise, but also energetically and the kinds of people you're following, um, your friends, your family members can sometimes not be the best of influences. Just being really mindful of that because the energy in your body feeds everything else. So I think it's just as important to be mindful about what you're feeding it the same way we are with food. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was literally just on a camping trip for the past three days and we didn't have any service at all. And it was wild within like the first 12 hours, how clear I felt and how like re-energized I felt. And, um, you know, coming back into the city, into LA, I'm really trying to be mindful about how I absorb other people's energy. Again, going back to just being influenced and, you know, shifting myself based off of, you know, who I'm around. Um, I think that we can easily be persuaded by the people around us, even if they're not like aggressively persuading us just from like being around them. And so taking that time to step away and ask like, is this true to me? Whether it's diet choices, lifestyle choices is a really powerful practice that I think we all should do at a certain point to just check in with ourselves and make sure that we're being authentic to our own light and our own power. Because when we are not in alignment with ourselves and making choices based off of what we think other people's want, we're really minimizing our bigness. Yeah. And I love what you said about being influenced because I think you and I can both speak to this as being like, quote, influencers that we know everything that goes into it and what the behind the scenes is. And I'm still influenced by people around me. Yeah. It was like, why did I buy this snack that I never buy? And like, oh, I think I might have seen it on like so-and-so's feed the other day. And I didn't even realize that I did that. So it's very real. It happens to us even when we know what's going on. Yeah. So just being mindful. And if you feel bad about unfollowing people, maybe you just mute them for a little bit so that you can still be connected to them and not be as influenced by whatever they're putting out that doesn't resonate with you. 100%. Yeah. I love the mute feature. (laughs) It's so great. It's wonderful. Well, Remy, thank you so much for coming on. For those that want to continue following you, where can we find you at? Um, So on Instagram, I'm at VeggieKins. Um, My YouTube channel is also VeggieKins and I think Pinterest as well. And then the blog is veggiekinsblog.com. So there's a bunch of recipes and just kind of random brain spills about mental health over there. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 